0: Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, we have the honor of speaking with Mark Gober. He is an author and international speaker. He wrote the book that i talk about all the damn time, uh, An End to Upside-Down Thinking, dispelling the myth that the brain produces consciousness and the implications for everyday life. We do cover that, as well as his other two books, An End to Upside-Down Living, which deals with more of the spiritual awakening, as well as An End to Upside-Down Liberty, which goes a little bit more conspiratorial and that's the way this stuff goes uh spirituality leads to conspiracies and so it, it's a natural progression uh, anyway a uh, phenomenal conversation guys we really go deep on this one we cover a lot uh, of high consciousness concepts because mark is the guy that you can just do that with uh, like I said, fanboyed out on him a little bit, but not too bad, so it won't be too distracting. Uh, all the ways to find him, his books, his podcast, uh, and uh, his website will be linked down in the show notes, so go check that out, as well as if you want to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can click in the show notes and check out expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's where links to everything, Rockfin, socials, merchandise, all that good stuff is there, and uh, if you noticed, um, our old Instagram got sucked into a dimension somewhere, It's just crazy how that stuff works. So uh, the new one is linked up. So make sure that you guys go check that out. Uh, It's expanding reality 2022 because we're killing it this year. Killing it. All right, guys. uh, So let's get to this amazing conversation with Mark Gober. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the show this very, very special episode. We have Mark Gober. Mark, how are you, brother?
1: I'm doing great. And thank you for having me.
0: Dude, you are so welcome. I've been the biggest fan, and I was fanboying out on you for a little bit up here. So, uh, the book that I will refer to most in this is uh, one of this is the one that made me fall in love with you, bud. Uh, the and into upside down thinking. Uh, it's going to be dispelling the myth that the brain produces consciousness and the implications for everyday life. So, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself, man. I have a million questions for you.
1: Yeah, I never expected to be doing any of this stuff. Um. Uh, my background is pretty traditional. I went to Princeton for undergrad, was a competitive tennis player growing up. So I was on the tennis team there. Uh, then I went into investment banking after college. I stopped playing tennis and was just working around the clock. <laughs> and I, I started in the summer of 2008. So I was there during the financial crisis, really, really rough time. I mean, I signed up for it, but it was tough, didn't sleep. And it's it's a tough job to begin with, but especially when there's so much stress in the overall environment with all the banks. And I was at one of the banks that was under stress itself. Like I was seeing news about our bank every day. Um, so that was, you know, I wasn't thinking about any of this consciousness stuff then either. Uh, in 2010, I left New York and then joined a firm where I spent 10 years um, advising tech companies in Silicon Valley. For, I was in Boston for a bit, but still kind of in that business world, even though it focused on tech and intellectual properties. There were some law asp- aspects to it, but it was a, a business job. And uh, several years into that job, in 2016, I was listening to podcasts um, and I wasn't looking for anything new I would say at that time in my life, and I talk about this more in my second book, and End Upside Down Living, Like there were a lot of things in my life that weren't going my way. and But behind all of that, um, I, I had big questions about why we exist. And I thought life was meaningless. And I wasn't looking for answers to dispel that. But I, I just thought that's what all, everything I learned in school and everything I've, I've read in science teaches us that we live in a random and meaningless universe. So if I'm really upset about like a business deal that doesn't go my way or whatever, it's something in my personal life, like why does it matter in the end? Or if something goes great, why does it matter? Because we're all going to die anyway. Like that was my thinking. Uh, Not because I was trying to be like, that's just the way I thought life worked. So then things changed in 2016 when I was listening to these podcasts, because I started, I, I heard evidence that countered that worldview. Again, this was totally random. I was listening to a health show called Extreme Health Radio. And they had a woman on the show named Laura Powers, who's a psychic, and she talked about her psychic abilities and how she worked with clients and how, like stuff that was totally out there to me. But it wasn't like I just said, okay, my life has changed because I heard this interview. It was more like, oh, she has her own podcast. This is kind of interesting. And I drive from San Francisco to Silicon Valley and it takes a long time in traffic. So I'll turn on this other podcast because it just kind of, sounds kind of interesting. And then one thing led to another. And I heard a bunch of people she interviewed who described similar things And then I started to read books and scientific papers. And before you know it, in the fall of 2016, I I was so disoriented because all of a sudden I had to rethink everything. And I I was like, what, how am I going to live? How am I going to talk to my friends and family about this? Cause this is so out there. And I just kept researching and wanted to learn more and more and was adjusting my worldview like daily because it was such a radical shift for me And, and no plans of writing a book or speaking about this stuff initially. And it got to the point in the summer of 2017 where I had this idea, why don't I just summarize this stuff and put it into a book? And then I decided to take the 4th of July weekend that year, which was a long weekend. And I just turned into an investment banker again, basically, and worked as, as much as I could until my body shut down. And I ended up writing basically more than half of the book that weekend, and then over the next few weeks, I filled it in mostly over the weekend. But I, you know, I filled it in. I had the outline ready to go. And then I had this book in the end of July 2017. I, all of a sudden, I had a book. And then one thing led to another, and uh, the book was published in 2018. I released a podcast in 2019 called "Where Is My Mind," which features interviews with my when, with many of the people that I in, that I uh, wrote about in my book and end upside down thinking. Then in end of 2019, I left my job. I decided I was passionate about this other stuff. Didn't know what I was going to do next. This was pre-pandemic and obviously didn't know there was going to be a pandemic, at least consciously. But I had this urge. um, I need to, I can't do this anymore. I'm not being authentic. And I want to spend all my energy reading about this other stuff. So in 2020, beginning of the year, I went on some meditation retreats, silent retreats, no speaking, no gesturing each. They were about a week each. And in between those two retreats, I wrote my second book and end upside down living. So that was a great space to be in because I was totally in silence and had a, was able to put my thoughts together. And then since then, I've been researching and then wrote a third book and end upside down liberty, which came out in the fall of 2021. And that's on politics, economics and the metaphysical. And that's where we are today.
0: It's it's insane, man. I mean, you, you, your journey from 2017 to now, you talk about a fast track awakening. Uh, did this come with sort of a spiritual adjustment on your part?
1: It, yes. And it's ongoing. <laughs> a Definitely a spiritual adjustment. That's a good way to put it. I never used that term before, uh, but yeah, but it was, it, it was so extreme for me, for someone, I was complete nihilist, atheist, agnostic, whatever you want to call it. Life has no meaning to wait a second. There's this other reality that I can't see with my eyes, like reincarnation, survival of consciousness after the body dies, that created a major adjustment in the way I thought about everything. So initially my quest was just to figure out what was going on, but it's been increasingly about well, what's the meaning behind all of it and why do I even exist and what should I be doing on a day-to-day basis? And ultimately what happened for me is that my priorities shifted so much that I couldn't rationalize being in that job, even though from my old perspective and from most people looking on the outside, they'd be like, dude, what are you doing? You made it to partner as a pretty young age, like you're in a great spot and I wasn't a great spot. But my spiritual adjustment as you put it put me on a different track and i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't live in alignment that way anymore
0: yeah, it is a vibrational thing, man, and we talk about it a lot on the show. Uh, it is uh, vibrationally uh, mechanized in that way, and that's when you shift from the Newtonian kind of reality that we live in to more of an idea of a participatory reality, right, to where now you're engaged in your reality because you actually do have an effect on it. So um, what, what's fascinating to me also, man, about about your work is how you went from, uh, we, we have this hero's journey kind of a thing, and we talk also a lot about it on the show the opposites that you start out somewhere, but you end up somewhere completely different based off of, we call them synchronicities. But Mrs. Powers, what was her uh, specialty on her show? Was she a medium, did you say?
1: Yeah, she does a lot. But she's a medium, uh, intuitive, works with energy. Okay. All those sorts of things. Do you still consider it random? Well, now I don't. Now I can... I can trace the synchronicities back. It's interesting you mentioned that because even before I heard that podcast, I was listening to mostly health and business shows. On Because in 2016, podcasts were a bit newer and I had some friends who forwarded me shows and I was I was like, oh my goodness, you can learn so much from these. So, I was just listening to lots of different things and people were talking about sensory deprivation tanks. It was probably Tim Ferris. So, I was doing that and I I, I wasn't even thinking about meditation or anything that, like that. But now, what I given what I know, sitting in a sensory deprivation tank for an hour at a time, I don't know how much I was doing it, maybe once every two weeks or so. And I was feeling really good. It just felt like I, I got an endorphin rush after I was doing it. But I might have been tapping into something, being in that quiet space where I was in the flow of the synchronicities. And then I listened to Laura Powers and then things were flowing. And on the topic of synchronicity, that is one of the key... <sighs> One of the key factors for me, especially early on, not only was I researching this stuff, but I was having the craziest synchronicities, like where these words that were seemed totally random were coming up over and over again. It was to the point where I was noting them down in my phone because they were so improbable. I and mean, when you have enough of those at once, it's like, you know, something's going on.
0: Do you ever get to the point where you play with it, like where you will um, – we we also talk a lot about, about the example of uh, the blue Tesla. So, whenever you think about a blue Tesla or you want to buy a car, the example we use is blue Tesla. You can use any Jeep, whatever. So, if you want to buy a car, all of a sudden you see it everywhere, when before you didn't at all. And what we'll do also is um, you kind of call to yourself or you manifest as. You know, the idea goes, uh, a penny with your birth year on it. And, uh, you know, a blue butterfly, stuff like this. There's been tons of books written on the topic. In the similar vein as you, they kind of lean a little bit more woo-woo. But I want to get back to that here in a second. But whenever you talked about sensory deprivation tanks, uh, have you ever seen the movie Altered States? I think Nick Nolte was in it, and it was from the 70s. Note that down. Check that out. I think you would like that a lot, because what you said about transforming into something else that's exactly the plot of the movie like I won't ruin it for you but it's sensory deprivation shanks and this was back in the 70s so it also pertained to um, psychedelic alt- augmentation which is why the movie is called Altered States, right? You, you literally take your normal you know, stable, comfortable reality and kind of turn it on its head or turn it upside down. Right. Yep. So uh, which ends up being the right way up, which is interesting. And this is what uh, your book's all about. Now, what's really cool, too, and I just wanted to kind of note this is if you want to read this book, you open it up. And if you open it like this, you're an asshole because uh, he figured that out. And it's actually the other way around. So I, I love just like little, little stuff like this. Was this your call? Was this your idea?
1: No, actually, there was a batch of books printed that way no way and it was not not intentional so you got one of the few really <laughs> it was, okay it was uh yeah i thought funny. you did
0: it deliberately because the first time i'd heard about uh your your work <laughs> i went through your audio book and i listened to it like twice and uh so i hadn't gotten a physical copy yet and so i wanted to go ahead and get one uh and uh it came like that so i thought you did that deliberately that's pretty cool yeah Okay. Well, if you get one, uh, give him a holler and he'll give you like a like on Facebook or something like that. So um, if you're one of the lucky few, right? Yeah. Um, So I I wanted to also now dive into uh, because I've just like I said, I got a million questions for you, man. Uh, Let's talk about the relationship of the brain to consciousness.
1: Yeah this is really the key to everything that i've done even up to my current books and uh because it gets to the fundamental nature of reality it all my book didn't start off thinking about the brain and consciousness i was hearing about different phenomena like psychic abilities and working with energy and when i realized that it all all comes down to this one issue so the brain is in our skull (laughs) and we we tend to think based on science that the reason that we have the ability to experience life is due to chemical and electrical activity happening in our brain. And then this consciousness pops out. Consciousness is difficult to define because we can't touch it. But people often say that it's our sense of experiencing. It's our awareness, subjective ex- experience. Um, so right now, my consciousness is what is experiencing life. My consciousness absorbs thoughts. It's that which experiences. It's, it's, and it's abstract. And the challenge is we have this abstraction That is required for us to even think about neuroscience and think about the meaning of life and think about what we're going to eat. And apparently, that comes from the brain, which is something that's not abstract. Like the brain is made out of physical matter, consciousness is not. And the fundamental question, which Science Magazine has even said is the number two question that remains in all of science, uh, paraphrasing the way they say it, is how is it that the brain produces consciousness? So they're acknowledging that we don't understand how this happens. We don't know how something abstract comes from matter how can something immaterial arise from the material that's the big question they don't understand and ultimately what i argue which many others have argued as well is that we're asking the wrong question that the reason we haven't figured out it's known as the hard problem of consciousness we haven't figured out how the brain produces consciousness because the brain doesn't produce consciousness and it's the it, this is the upside down thinking that our body and our brain is like a vessel for consciousness. Our identity is consciousness and it's being experienced through the vessel of the body rather than my old worldview, which said that we are a physical body and then consciousness pops out and when the body dies, it's over. No, it's the reverse.
0: And, and you're absolutely right. And this establishment of that uh, consciousness is projected into or received from the brain, which just operates the body because then there's an interface. And then, like you said about turning energy, Non-physical energy into physical energy. And also you have things uh, such as subconscious actioning. So like your heart beating or you breathing. You don't think to breathe. Like you don't have to consciously think about breathing. You just breathe. You're the observer or observer that knows that you're breathing. But it's not you doing the action. So there's there's also sub-levels of, I guess, programming or interface there that's going on uh, that, that maintain this balance and this harmony between the experience that consciousness is here to have. And then the mechanism in which it experiences, which is your physical body that's controlled by the brain. So I also wanted to um, ask you, so holographic universe, uh, when was it that you got that in your hands? Was that early on?
1: It was within that first year before I wrote the book. Okay. Um, I don't remember when, maybe a few months in.
0: Okay, gotcha. And uh, because as I was uh, going through your book immediately, it reminded me of that. And I mentioned, like I said, several times on the show, your book in the same vein as that, because they're, they're so awesome. They, they've changed my life and you- changed it to a more updated version. So it was nice. I was 91, you coming out with yours in 2018. So there was a good gap there. But when you mentioned the holographic universe in your work, I was like, yep, uh, respect. I was like, I could already feel it. I was like, soul tribe, I get this guy. But in there, so I wanted to ask you a question uh, relating back to our five senses. So in the holographic universe, um, he actually talks about uh, perceptions. So One of the questions posed in that book from Michael Talbot is, do you think that uh, the way that we perceive our reality is solely based
1: on our five senses? Previously, I would have have said yes, and now I don't think so. I think there's more than our five senses that that science doesn't understand very well.
0: How many more? Do you think it's just like one or two extra or possibly an infinite number because we don't even know how to, like you said, ask the question or measure it?
1: Yeah, it could be a huge number that we don't understand. Subtle levels, subtle dimensions. I, I don't know. I mean, this physical body is just part of our identity. And if our identity expands well beyond that, then I don't even know what that is. I know there's people talk about etheric bodies in different layers, uh, but each of those in theory could have its own form of, of sensory apparatuses. Yeah. And so, yeah, to me, it could be many, many.
0: Probably the most challenging thing about all this, and we say woo-woo or extra phenomena or something like that, uh, just the things – and woo-woo is just a, a placeholder for the stuff that science can't explain yet, right? Or maybe possibly some of science can explain, and there's a nefarious thing going on, and I want to get to that. But to finish my point on this, um, it's it's almost like you, you're given a certain set of standards, and then you – find out that there's different things that have to do with a bunch of crazy stuff that don't lead you to a dead end necessarily. They lead you to a more creative approach to problem solving, which is badass, man. Uh, this is this is the next wave of science is what you're doing right here. And this, the way that you jumped into all of the scientific records, just again, like Michael Talbot, uh, the way you bring up uh, telekinesis, uh, the remote viewing phenomena, you you have... Done such a great job at covering the gamut on this, and it's incredible and only took you that long to write. But uh, what is your favorite one? Like your favorite extra sensory type of, I guess we'll call it ability for the sake of a better term for now, but the extra sensory observation that people have made?
1: Mm. I would say remote viewing, which is the ability to perceive something without seeing it with your eyes, meaning your mind is able to see something that's far away both in space and time. And that to me, I'm a little, I'm a bit numb to it now because I've spent so much time researching it, but that was so mind blowing to me. And then when I found out that the U.S. government was doing this and spent two decades, $25 million using psychic spies for national security, uh, that blew me away. So it's, it's extraordinary that we have that capacity. That's also part of it is that some people are might, might be better than others just naturally, but we all have the ability to tap into that, which... I had never considered before.
0: See, I, I love that one as well. And the book, Psychic Warrior is wonderful. Uh, and then yeah. Pat Price, of course, the famous remote viewer, uh, and then Yuri Geller over there, bending Spoons are just telling us what's on ancient Mars. It's awesome, and the fact that the CIA did commission the program is even more fascinating. And I love also that they did it just based on a rumor that Russia was doing it too. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost the equivalent to saying, well, if you know somebody's making pinatas that explode, we invest a ton of money and time into it as well because we don't want to be left in the dark. But this one just ended up being a little bit extra. So one of the trickiest parts about this scientifically is being able to reproduce, um, because that's that's the thing, right? You've got to have reproducible um, results in a way that that's, that's how you can measure this stuff. Why do you think that they are so elusive in sticking tight to the scientific method?
1: Yeah. Well, ex- I- I'll say the more extraordinary... Um, like in your face phenomena like remote viewing where you're in California and you can see something on another planet or cr- halfway across the world in the past present or future that is that's a bit more ephemeral and not everyone is able to do that immediately. So you might need either you're naturally adept at it for some reason, like your brain is able to tune in or you get really well-trained and maybe you can do that, but it's uncommon. There are other phenomena where it's a more subtle effect that an everyday person has. And those you wouldn't necessarily be able to put your finger on as as dramatically as remote viewing, but the the statistical evidence is really strong. So I'll give an example to illustrate this, the phenomenon of telepathy, of mind-to-mind communication, the way that's been illustrated scientifically, one of the ways uh, and has been replicated a lot is where you have people separated. One is one person, uh, we'll say Bob, is in a room far away and we have Jane here in this room close by. Bob is shown an image and he's asked to try to mentally send to Jane what he's looking at. And after a while, Jane is shown own four images, one of which is the one Bob was trying to mentally send. Um, These are everyday people. So, you know, Bob's saying, okay, fine, I'm mentally sending you this image. And Jane is looking at these four images and you would expect the person in Jane's room over many, many trials to just guess correctly one out of four times or 25% because there should be no information transferred between the two people if there's no like verbal communication or anything else. And yet the person in that room guesses correctly closer to 32% of the time. And when you use statistics, this falls in the category of six sigma results, meaning the odds against chance are more than a billion to one, meaning if you use that level of statistical significance, if you apply that to any other area of science, you would say, okay, that's a real effect, but it's subtle. It's only a 7% differential, whereas with remote viewing, if you get it right, it maybe doesn't happen as often, but it's super dramatic. And that's this is one of the big disconnects for most people because they'll be like, yeah, remote viewing, You prove it to me. It's like maybe a few people can do it dramatically. Whereas telepathy, you need to have that scientific study. You need to have the replication to see the effect.
0: Do you think it's because of the individual that they're not that uh, repeatable? Plus, I mean, the observer effect, right? Um, There are even placebo, and I want to get into placebos with you too, because that that one's my favorite. Uh, That's like the smoking gun, right? Um, So there are people who will say that um, even, like, if somebody's giving a placebo in a study, in a clinical trial, for a control they will, um, even if the person administering the placebo knows that it's a placebo, it will affect the outcome. So, could some of these repeatable, I guess, challenges that we find be a part of the individual and their ability to, like you said, do so, but also the observer effect? Like, if somebody goes into it, they they can alter the results just based on their
1: presence and their impression of it. It's very possible. And the phenomenon is known as psychokinesis, which is mind impacting matter. So if, if someone is shifting their consciousness, you don't know how that's affecting someone else's consciousness. It's like ripples in a pool. We don't know. That's a very good point. And this has big implications for science, because if you're doing it, any experiment, think about that. What is the impact of the consciousness of the experimenter on the experiment? This is where it breaks down
0: for a lot of folks and me especially. This is where I, I, you know, because you can get everybody into a room and I already think science is really in the medical community. I mean, top down systemically is very uh, uh, tied up. Their, their hands are tied with what they can do and what they have access to and what knowledge they have. It's the allegory of the cave, right? All of our systems are based on these people sitting there watching shadows on a cave when the real world is way cooler and there's a lot of other information out there. Not only that, it's been suppressed deliberately to maintain this matrix of control, and we can go there if you'd like. But uh, the the more interesting thing to the nature of the repeatableness of the phenomena, like we were talking about, is just to be able to look at it in a way that the observer does not affect it. But that's the problem. And like you said, with any scientific study because even the um uh Lynn mctaggart's work with the power of eight i mean even intention studies if you've got enough people standing around saying yes this is the result that we expect that's the result that you get and back to the hands being tied part of it it's i liken it to that movie apollo 13 whenever they're solving the problem or whatever and they dump out stuff on a on a desk with a, from a box and they said okay this is what we need to solve this problem well i think that that's the way that the scientific medical everything operates There's a lot of other options out there. They just won't give them to you. They're going to just show you what's in this box and say, okay, you have to solve everything with this. This is where we run into the challenges and the observations that you've made with your work is that there's extra stuff outside of that box that if we had access to and were able to focus on would benefit us so much more greatly. I mean, these are massive pieces of the puzzle, right?
1: Yeah, massive. And we're confining ourselves to this little box and not even considering the alternatives. It's one of the ironies of science because science is supposed to be about questioning and acknowledging that, like, we're trying to falsify our existing hypothesis and remain open minded to other things. And yet, what seems to happen is that science converges on an overall theory, and then anything outside of that theory which they might consider to be fact, isn't even considered. So what does that mean? If our consciousness doesn't go outside of that box, we can't even... Think of these other solutions. So, ironically, science ends up becoming religious in a way where it's dogmatic. No, It
0: definitely does because it's a system. I mean, and there
1: are other options out there.
0: It's just that this is where you get into the distrust. And I I want to get into your upside down liberty because I have a feeling you and I have uh, I've read some of your tweets. So I know you and I kind of uh, align there for sure. But uh, there there seems to be a thing going on, right? It's, it's actual suppressed knowledge. I mean, and this is from history, science, medicine, everything. Do
1: you, do you think that there's anything to that? I would say I, I do. I can't prove it. It's not something I considered as much in the first book or the second book, really. The third book gets into it a bit more because I, I think there are multiple elements where Like when I was first getting into this material, there's a a resistance, a natural resistance to say, no, 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 this can't be true. I learned so much before. How could it be that there's this whole other reality that I didn't know? So there's like an intellectual pushback. But on a societal level, is that intellectual pushback enough for everyone not to know this stuff or to be open minded? Is it being suppressed? Um, That would make sense to me because this information is incredibly empowering to the individual because it means that we are part of the. This infinite stream of consciousness, to use the analogy from Dr. Bernardo Castro, it's like we're whirlpools within a stream. So, we're all interconnected, but your consciousness is, is water. So, if everyone's a whirlpool within the stream, then you are a powerful part of that stream. You're important. You're not insignificant. So, to suppress it would make sense. Um, And then there's some ancient texts, like in my new book, I mentioned the Nag Hammadi scriptures that were, you know, found in 1945 farmers were looking for manure and they just came across this jar from third, fourth century AD. And there's a quote that I I love from that, which doesn't, this doesn't prove anything, but it gets this idea that you're arriving at. Um, There's a, one of the scriptures is called the nature of the rulers. And it gets this idea that there are rulers that try to suppress things. And it says, um, the rulers kept humanity in a state of confusion and a life of toil so that they would be distracted, they would be preoccupied with the things of the world and not have time to be occupied with the Holy Spirit. And we could say the Holy Spirit's you know consciousness. So I mean, that right there, they're talking about this hundreds of years ago, is the way we've lived. It's been suppressed. And this was the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? This was the Nag Hammadi scriptures, although there might be other stuff in the Dead Sea Scrolls, too. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, no, and you're
0: absolutely right. And this is that great deception kind of a thing. Now, if you want to, and we do this, uh, zoom out a little bit more, you know, go a little bit more. And if we say that consciousness has a source or an origin, what, what would you say that that is?
1: The difficulty with that question is that embedded within it is the idea of linear time and that there is a cause, that there is past to present to future. And so to, to me, sequence, which is past to present to future, is an interpretation that our mind uses to make sense of the world. But we can't prove the past. The past is a thought in the present moment. Any memory we have of the past is occurring in the present. And any thought about the future is occurring in the present as a thought. So to me, there is this I think of consciousness as something beyond space and time and simply exists without any cause. And that is not something our mind can comprehend.
0: Um, I'm absolutely right there with you. I'm very well put. Uh, What about the concept of spirit guides? Do you get into things that far?
1: Have you gotten there yet? Even just thought experiment wise? Yeah, it was probably one of the first things I learned about, actually, when I was listening to those podcasts, people saying that they communicate with spirit guides and deceased relatives, but also angelic beings ascended masters so it's something that comes up all the time Um, i'm on the board of the institute of noetic sciences which studies a lot of this material scientifically and there is uh, helene wabe one of the researchers studies channeling where people allow in essentially other whirlpools disembodied whirlpools of consciousness into their body and it speaks through them she has a new book out called the science of channeling and they look at things like well is this a psychological disorder that they're pulling in this other intelligence. And they say, no, a psychological disorder has different qualities. The, the, so your question, though, about these other intelligences, spirit guides, it lends credibility to that, that there are other things out there that are immaterial. And we don't know where our thoughts come from. When a thought pops in, it just emerges. Is that being pushed by some intelligence beyond our whirlpool? I'm totally open to that. And many people say, "Well, you should you should ask for things or you should actively communicate." I don't have a visceral experience like some mediums do, where they actually hear stuff. But I mean, I'm open to it. I don't know how it works. Uh,
0: so, and to the to the point of, uh, damn. I had it and I lost it. Okay. Of channeling. Okay. Yeah. So uh, whenever you talk about uh, channeling um, and then that being not descript with other mental disorders, it I've heard a lot of people make, an, make arguments that actually like schizophrenia and stuff like that are misdiagnosed as mental disorders, but the real entity possession or they have something to do with this extra or this extra woo woo stuff. And that if they were paid more attention to in that way,
1: uh, there'd be a massive turnaround. Do you think that there's anything to that? I've thought about that a lot, too. I hold that as a hypothesis because it makes so much sense. If you listen to the way someone speaks yes. who's schizophrenic, it is like they're tapped. It's like our brain's an antenna, to use an analogy, and it's tuned into a different TV station. A savant, for example, might be tuned into one where they can do crazy mathematical stuff, musical abilities. And maybe someone who's schizophrenic is is tuning into a different station in a way that can't be controlled. And it's like tuning back and forth. Maybe that's part of it.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And you know, and even uh, autism—that's uh, a big one too. It's uh, that's that's one of those high-functioning, and they call you know they call it a social disorder. Well, it's not a social disorder if you look around at society and you say this kind of sucks. You know, if that's yeah. the case, I think a lot more people have autism than than they think because we're, we're all adverse. You know, or a lot of us, especially lately, adverse to this society and what society considers normal is sick. And what is that yeah. quote to be well-adjusted to a sick society is no measure of good health. So uh, I I wanted to come back to. To the concept of spirit guides what we were talking about about time because there's a question i had for you and i figured you'd be the guy that asked about quantum entanglement so do you mind running that down with the audience sure to simplify it
1: it's the idea that you have two physical particles that are distant from each other in space and time and when you alter one of them the entangled particle that's far away has a, a correlated movement at the exact same instant so it means that there's an interconnectivity like that is b- faster than the speed of light. It's instantaneous, and so Einstein, who looked at this, he said, "Well, this is spooky action at a distance." He thought the speed of light, which is really really fast, is the fastest that anything could travel, and yet we had this instantaneous connection between two things, and it suggests that there is an interconnectivity at at least the small scale of reality, but the quantum. Quantum reality is part of everything. So at some level, everything's interconnected, which aligns with the idea that we're all part of one consciousness.
0: So to this, and thank you, uh, to this point, uh, do you think that you can communicate with your past self via your current or now self and affect your future self in the same way based on those principles?
1: Well, the idea of a past and a future and a current self, if we want to get really meta about it those don't really exist. So if, if we talk about past lives and future lives, even they might all be occurring simultaneously in this instant that we can't describe. So just having this conversation, it's reminding me of um, Dr. David Hawkins, a spiritual teacher who used to be a psychiatrist and then became super enlightened and came back to society. He There's a video of him thinking, looking at life like a prism, like you shoot light through this uh, material and then it comes out in different ways. Um, It's much more variable when it comes out the other side of the prism. And he looks at it from different angles. And each of those angles that you look at it from could be considered a different point in time. So it's all there in one shining light. It's just a matter of the perspective you take. So to me, um, yes, I think you could access those things because if consciousness is beyond space and time, there really is no time. We just have to tap in. And now you're also reminding me of a conversation I had when I interviewed Paul Selig who is a a well-known channeler. He's channeled lots of books and apparently his guides tell him not to edit the books. They have to come out like exactly the way it comes through him. And I asked this question, I don't remember exactly what I asked, but something about past lives and time. And he said something to a similar effect that time is like, it's not as simple as we make it out to be that there's a, like some degree of a simultaneity that it's all happening at once, but it's like sort of not at the same time. And our minds can't really grasp that.
0: Yeah, like stacked like records. I've heard it compared to that. Yes. And uh, the the concept that time is not linear is why I had the question. So if you can affect, and to, back to what you said about uh, memory. So we've also talked a lot, uh, Pat Mahan from Like Attracts Like. I think he would really like that show. Uh, he he calls into question that you can affect, that that actually the only thing your memories are, are interpretations of the past. They're not even necessarily accurate. This is why witness testimonies are very unreliable uh, in in murder cases and stuff because it just can't be trusted because it can't be corroborated. You talk about something that's not repeatable, somebody's memory of an event, right? So even that, the idea then would go that all you're really doing is pulling that memory to your now and interpreting it. But by growing spiritually and enlightening in consciousness and ascending, then um, you bring that mem- memory that was maybe traumatic, let's say. And this is what shadow works about. You bring it to your now, fix it, and then send it back, and therefore it never affected you because it doesn't affect you now. That's kind of the idea. It's it's a paradoxical kind of a thing. And I know we say then and now, a moment that you've experienced from your past perception versus your conscious expression right now, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know people that do healing modalities that works with that very principle, that it's all now. And you're basically re- rewiring what happened in the past so that it quote unquote pass so that it affects you today. And it affects everything it, in theory,
0: because if you if you then extrapolate it out to identifying and like you said, tapping in, I think that's the very important part, which is just vibrational, which, like you said earlier, you couldn't go back to that other job. You physically couldn't do it. You open doors that you can't close back. They're like trap doors and ascending levels in a treehouse or something. Right. And there's no handle on the inside. Once you get to that level, you you can't go back because you now you have this understanding. And so uh, whenever you look at stuff like that, though, man, it blows my damn mind. So I was just curious uh, what you thought about it, because then you're talking about now affecting on that quantum level. If you can tap in and you realize that you are all of your ancestors or all of your expressions of consciousness, then you could heal because you quantum you're quantum entangled to that. If you could even just visualize it, I mean, manifestation, intention, things like this work that way. So if you could scale it up a little bit, um, you know, that would be pretty cool. I think that's all.
1: There's a healing modality known as family constellation, which when I first started this, I was talking to psychics, doing past life regression, I was doing everything. And I did this family constellation because I heard a podcast about it, and it works on the principle that you're talking about. Basically, you go into a circle of people, and they don't know you. There are students in the class, for example. And the, the person running the constellation knows who you are and knows about you and your ha- your past um, and will write something on a note card. They might put your name on it or some, something that relates to you and close a note card and give it to someone in the circle. They don't know anything about you. They don't even know what's on that card. They put it in their pocket. They don't read it. And they start to act out <laughs> what's on the card. It's totally wild what happens. But ultimately, you end up playing out scenes that relate to you, you and your life or your ancestors. And the person running it... Um, works with the quantum field where maybe you reconcile the differences between people or your ancestors had a conflict or there was a trauma it's worked out in that setting and he talks about how it ripples through past present future and when i asked him how does it like how can you tell what what the effect is going to be after you have and he goes this you're you're dealing with ripples through the quantum field it's impossible to explain how it's going to work itself out but it does (laughs) (laughs)
0: dude that is awesome and this is like the point of it all i think right because of the placebo effect so let's talk about that uh placebo effect in my mind uh like many's uh it's that's the smoking gun that's the most amazing thing i don't know why we don't talk about it more uh, because it's fascinating so the placebo though also works in a nocebo way like uh, dr bruce h lipton talks about but also you can look at this in a way where if your mind can be affected by thinking that you that something is good for you, that's maybe perhaps how these quantum healing things work out. Let's say, for instance, that somebody's just having a rough time and nobody knows what the hell to tell this person. And they invent or manufacture a story about a past life that they had. You get them involved in the story and then you give them a comfortable re- resolution, like a movie. Like you basically just scripted out and played a movie for them. The, the impact would be the same if it was real and it was really what they said it was, quantum Ripples, which is badass. It's a cool name yeah. for a band. Uh, yeah. And then also, though, um, you you could take it further than that. I mean, what do you, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I used to learn about things like placebo and nocebo, the explanation was more just biological, that your mind would affect your biology such that the outcome would change, but it wasn't anything metaphysical that was doing it. And to me, maybe there is a biological component, but it's also this idea that it's consciousness. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm open to that. I'm much more, just in general, I'm more conscious of the way I'm thinking about things and where my consciousness is directed because I know that is going to have some kind of a ripple effect, whether it's an experiment or just everyday life. The way we, we orient our consciousness is critical.
0: yeah. It, it really is. I mean, it's, it, and being mindful of it is the first way of realizing your power. Like you can be told that you're very powerful and that you could do cool stuff, but, but really realizing it is the way. So, um, with the research that you've done philosophically, uh, where are you at right now?
1: I think that, that we are all part of one consciousness. Uh, our consciousness doesn't die when the physical body dies, and that we're here to evolve like our individual whirlpool is here to evolve so that the entire stream is evolving. And we are here uh, evolving in a state of amnesia. So we don't have access to all the memories of our individual whirlpool or everything else, likely so that we can have a greater learning experience. And within this learning experience, there's a, a, a mixture of what we might call light and dark and good and evil, which at some level don't exist because there's just one consciousness. But it enables us to evolve at some level and the ultimate state that we're evolving to. And this is largely based on near death experience research and other mystical experiences is that we're moving toward a state of unconditional love. That's what everyone talks about. So that's like the highest state, but we exist in the state of duality where there is light and dark and imperfection um, so that we can try to improve ourselves, but also embody that state while in the state of being dualistic
0: Perfectly put, like perfectly put, dude. uh, Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it's just awesome. Yes. Okay, uh, let's talk about psychedelics. Uh, What is your take?
1: Okay, so I think that the the brain is like a filter of consciousness. So there's this entire stream out there and there's certain things you can do to access different parts of the stream. Near-death experience seems to be one. Meditation experiences. So I've had some crazy stuff in meditation where I like, you know, felt some things that were not normal, um, but other people have even crazier experiences. Psychedelics are another. Some people also have spontaneous experiences. They're not even meditating. It's like all of a sudden they tap into this reality. Um, and it seems like I'm not a huge expert on psychedelics from personal experience, but having read about like DMT and different things you can take, there are different experiences that you have. So maybe if we live in this, it's like a multi-dimensional. Uh, whirlpool that we're in a multidimensional stream. You're tapping into different layers of that stream, depending on what you take. Um, But there seems to be a difference between near-death experiences and psychedelics based on the the varying reports. And when I interviewed Dr. Bruce Grayson from the university of Virginia, I asked him about this. I'm like, well, how do we know a psychedelic isn't, you know, that the near-death experience isn't just like a psychedelic experience that your brain has the same chemicals. And he said, he said there are people that have had done psychedelics and have had near-death experience And they say it's different, even though the descriptions sound kind of similar, That it's not the same thing. So it's like you're tapping into different things when you're getting close to the death state, even though there might be similarity because you're outside your whirlpool. Um, Whether or not psychedelics are good or bad, that's a question I get asked very often. Like, should you do them? Should you not? I think it's very much based on the individual and also who's in your, like, if you're doing with the right person and have the right, like, substances and dosing and all that, and you're in the right mindset. I think a lot of the ancient cultures are probably much more expert than we are at it. And there are also dangers. There are stories of people that can't get out of that state or they become schizophrenic. And I know some doctors that have dealt with patients that have had that. So I think it really depends on the person. Uh, But I also know of other stories where people do it and it, it changes their life. I'm thinking of one case of someone who, a lot of people who've had these experiences, put it this way, will come to me and say like, oh my God, like what you said in your book, that makes so much sense. Yes. Which is funny because I wrote the book from the academic perspective and it's very validating for me to say that when these people have an experience, they they felt it. Um, so there's definitely something there of tapping into these other, I guess, dimensions or whatever you call it.
0: There is, and like you said, it's like a brainwave state. It's like an altered. It's an altered state that can be achieved in multiple ways. And even uh, when we look at like the UFO phenomena, I don't know how deep you go into that, but any anything paranormal or UFO, because we're all consciousness, they would then just be artifacts of the consciousness, right? Our experiences here as well on their own mission or here to aid in our mission or here to serve as just something whimsical for us to look forward to, like to anchor us to mysteries for super smart people like you that just figure shit out. Uh, You got to have something crazy to think about too. Um, You know, and um, so I wanted to also ask you about politics and spirituality. This is one of the things that whenever, whenever you attempt to relate the two, it is very, very challenging. So please tell me your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, this is, I will start by saying I never had an interest in politics until basically the pandemic started. Uh-huh. So I come in with it. Like I did, I just didn't care. I probably couldn't have told you the main differences between the, the parties in the U S like beyond very basic. So that's where I started. And then I saw things happening with the pandemic and all the politics around it. And I began to look at it very closely. But my third book and end upside down Liberty seeks to do is to combine consciousness with politics of saying, of saying, how should we organize society? based on this idea that we are interconnected we're all part of one consciousness what's the ideal format and the very quick answer to it is we have to go back to the near-death experience so the state where a person let's say they're in cardiac arrest They're out, the clinically dead or close to it, and yet they have an elaborate experience. And when they come back in their body, they say they were immersed in unconditional love, although some of them are frightening. The majority of the reports are extremely positive. They encountered mystical beings like other intelligences, sometimes deceased relatives. But they also often talk about a life review where they relive all the events in their life, not only from their own perspective, but from the perspective of the people that they encountered. So, if they harmed someone, they felt it through that person's eyes. And I'll give you an example. I interviewed a man named Daniel Brinkley, who has had four near-death experiences. And each time he had a life review, Um, Dr. Grayson says roughly a quarter of the cases he's looked at, people have had a life review. So, not everyone has it, or maybe they did and they don't remember it when they came back. We don't know. He had four near-death experiences each time he had a life review that he remembered. And each time he started the life review at the beginning of his life. When he went through it. For him, that was very traumatic because he was in Vietnam previously and he relived his combat days where he told me he was vicious in combat. He killed people. He had to relive what it was like to be the person he was killing. So he felt what that, that pain. And he felt the pain of children who would no longer have fathers because he had killed the fathers. He told me that experience. It was not quite as strong, but he felt the indirect effects, meaning that this interconnectedness is real in his later life reviews because he changed his life when he came back from the near-death experience. He became a hospice volunteer. He said, he said, okay, this materialistic stuff doesn't matter, like how much money I make, all that stuff. What matters is how I treat people. So he became a hospice volunteer. And I guess not knowing he was going to have more life reviews, or maybe he did subconsciously. He got to experience what it was like to be the person dying in the hospice bed through his eyes so he got to feel what it was like to be comforting someone and so you feel the effect of your loving and un- unloving actions effectively and many speculate that this is what happens after we die we don't know for sure maybe some of us have a life review it would make sense to me that this is part of the evolutionary process but that's the core principle of it, people call it the golden rule of treating people the way you want to be treated assuming you're not a masochist where you would want to you know where you, you like pain if we're treating people the way we want to be treated in the direction of unconditional love. That's the way I think about it. If you apply that version of the golden rule, then how do we, How should we structure society? And to put this, this is a much longer conversation, but the way we govern, it's known as statism, We have a state that governs us without an explicit contractual relationship that explains all the things that the state is going to do, like a typical service provider does, like my clients in business. We would explain all the things we're going to do, and if we didn't meet those things, there's a termination. Everything's written out. We have much more of an implied consent relationship with government. So th- certain things are not fully voluntary, which means that the government is able to impose things on us that we didn't necessarily agree to or want to do, which to me violates the spiritual principle of the golden rule that we see embedded in the nature of reality. So what I argue is that our whole political system of statism is incompatible with spirituality, and we have to move to a fully voluntary system where the government's functions still exist, but they exist in through voluntary explicit contracts as real service providers, because that way you're not violating the golden rule.
0: Dude. Yes, absolutely. Have you ever heard of a book called Government, the biggest scam in history? Yes. Okay. Etienne de la Vorta Escort. He's awesome. We've had him on. Great, great read. So you didn't really get into conspiracy theories before this this
1: one? Not really. I mean, after seeing the the pandemic (laughs) that made me, there's some obvious things. I, I had come across a lot of those concepts, but I was so busy like working on, understanding telepathy and near-death experiences my second book is all about the spiritual awakening process of basically how do we get to that enlightened state so i was studying people that have gone through these experiences a lot of a show called the buddha at the gas pump of people over 500 people many of them just ordinary people that have gone through this so that's what i was focused on um and there's only so much time in the last few years even though i would hear these things and then since the pandemic started i've gotten into more of that stuff (laughs)
0: Well, welcome to it, brother. Uh, And it's conspirituality, right? And so, uh, But but being able to see it through those lenses is great. Uh, And you look like you're already to the point where you don't have to Paul Revere, uh, which is great. That's a nice point to get to. And just be the lighthouse, man. Write your book, put it out. The people who need to find it will find it. Uh, And then speak up if somebody asks you, which you do, which is awesome. Like I said, you're... You're badass, man. You're soul tribe for sure. Um, okay, well, I, I'm probably gonna wrap this up with you here. I could just talk to you forever, but let's cap it on this one. Uh, I wanted to ask you about aliens. What do you think that those are?
1: Actually, early on in my in my learning, um, this topic came up because I learned about past lives not on Earth. Mm, mm. A woman named Dr. Linda Bachman, who was a traditional psycho- psychologist, I think, and then she started working with patients. Under hypnosis, and they were spontaneously talking about past lives, not on Earth as other species. So it's been in my on my mind very early in this journey, and if even from my old conventional perspective, the universe is huge. Um, you know, there's just so much that we don't know about the universe. Let's put it that way. That to think that we're the only life form would be pretty arrogant. Um, in my newest book, I mentioned the work of John Mack, Harvard psychiatrist, Pulitzer Prize winner who was looking at cases of abductions from a psych- the lens of a psychiatrist. And these are like thick books. He looked at this stuff. It reminds me of Dr. Ian Stevenson, who studied children with past life memories at the University of Virginia. His books are incredibly detailed. And in some cases, he's able to find historical records that align with what the child said. John Mack d- reminds me of Ian Stevenson in that way. of like This guy was looking at it really carefully and looking at these abduction cases and everything else and realized that Something's going on with other intelligences that could be explained by saying, "Yeah, that that there are whatever you want to call them, aliens, interdimensional beings." Um, and there's many other reports. I like to start with that because he's so credible. And like beyond that, it's it's hard. I haven't had any direct experiences, so it's hard for me to say. Um, I would imagine that there is influence. On this planet in ways that many of us don't understand if these are other intelligences and they're on their evolutionary journey, just like us, there's an interplay that might be going on maybe in other dimensions like spirit guides or I don't know what in the physical too. And there might be different like species. That's the common theme. So I would say with regard to aliens, generally, I'm really open to it. I don't know exactly where I stand on all the different issues because it's it's also a really hard thing to research because it's so anecdotal and you don't know who's going to give false information on purpose just to like mess with you. Uh, but at the same time, there's like a Venn diagram where you hear the same stuff and you can like read historical uh, accounts, whether they're religious or otherwise. And you're like, all right, th- there's something, there's an overlap here that seems to be right. But outside of that overlap in the Venn diagram, it's much harder.
0: It's crazy, dude. There's just so many cool things to look at. And um, the the work that you do is fantastic. I love the scientific approach that you take with it because it's so credible. Like you really, again, I compare you, the Holographic Universe like one of my favorite books of all time, just simply because of the way it it lays it out. And you you did an excellent job because uh, yours does it, but an accentuation on it. Like you nailed it, man. You really nailed the research and the way to present it. And that's why, again, I, I mentioned you two at the same vein. So to, to be up there is a big deal uh, in my mind. So, um, but I, I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart, man, uh, for coming on and answering my questions and just talking with me here. We should definitely do this again. You're your soul tribe anyway. So we have much more to talk about and, uh, I'm just looking forward to it, brother. So, uh, just tell us where they can find you and then uh, we'll wrap it, brother.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you again for having me and for asking such great questions. And we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. So I hope your audience has enjoyed this one. Uh, My website is my name, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. And my books are on Amazon. Um, They're all available, Audible, Kindle, and... uh, hard copies as well. So whatever you like. And they're, they're called an end upside down thinking and end upside down living end upside down liberty. And my podcast is Where Is My Mind? And that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major players
0: all the major ones and it's badass I man you did a wonderful job and you did tell that story about the dude who did the four um ndes on your show there and it's it's a wonderfully produced show so we didn't talk about it enough on here but i wanted to do that so that other people can go check it out it will uh, as well as your website and your books be linked down in the show notes guys so go check it out one of my favorites of all time and end to upside down thinking mark gober i cannot thank you enough brother
1: you are welcome any damn time dude thank you so much and thank you for all you're doing. I mean, you never know who's going to be impacted by these conversations. And it could be a few months from now, it could be like 10 years from now where someone clicks for people. So I, I always appreciate podcast hosts that are willing to put themselves out there, especially with these topics that are outside the mainstream. So I, I really thank you for what you do.
0: Man, that dude is awesome. Uh, Whenever you get to talk to somebody that you really, really admire, uh, sometimes it sucks, but this did not. He well exceeded expectations, which were awesome. So uh, truly grateful for Mark Gober spending some time on the show with us. All the ways to find him, of course, are linked down in the show notes. Check out his podcast, Where Is My Mind? Uh, Very great eight-episode season season there, and it's just really, really cool. He does a wonderful job. It's well-produced, all that good stuff. And it's Mark Gober, so you know it's fascinating. So uh, his books will be linked down there as well And uh, his website So make sure that you go check this guy out He's a personal favorite of mine So I'd like for y'all to have your mind blown by him as well So go check that out Uh, All the ways to expand your experience with us here on the show Is linked down in the show notes as well At expandingrealitypodcast.com That is where links to socials All of that good stuff are uh, Rock fan merchandise There's some new t-shirts up there Go check that out guys New Instagram uh, Because the other one got uh, nuked or something I don't know Uh, Anyway, but uh, new Instagram's linked there as well, Uh, so go check that out if you want to. Just hang out with us on some other stuff. We've got some big things going on this year, so you do not want to miss it. Go check out the website uh, for more on that. Uh, Okay, so go out into this beautiful place, no matter what this is in front of you here, and y'all just pick up a piece of litter. Uh, Be nice to everybody that you come across. Opening doors does not go without, um, you know, unnoticed these days as well. It's a nice thing to do. Just smile at people, man. Just be pleasant you know just don't be a cunt try that just just start there uh also uh go and buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal or a bottle of water or something like that you know just something small but it makes big ripple effects in the quantum field of positivity and it raises your vibe for damn sure so uh do that as well uh, of course while you're on the high vibe train get out of the left hand lane you are a pain in the ass when you got somebody behind you wanting to pass there uh stop it And above all and anything else, guys, go out into this beautiful place and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.